Today, I want you to turn in your Bible, if you have one, we'll have it on the screen as well, to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to spend just a little bit of time today. And as you're turning there, here's, here's what I want you to do. We're going to multitask, okay? If I were to ask you, and I want you to take five seconds, you can tell somebody around you. If, you, if, you're, if you're scared of the person around you, find somebody else or put your head down and act like you're praying because God's moving, whatever, whatever that looks like, right? But here's the question. If I were to ask you, how are you today? If your neighbor were to say, hey, how are you? Just five seconds or less, give them an answer. Go. <laughs> Some of you are protesting. You're just vetoing this whole thing. All right, so hopefully some of you are like, can we have more than five seconds? Can we have five hours? Because I've got some stuff to get off my chest. Now, here's, here's my question, and you got to be honest. How many of you just lied straight up? Like, how are you? I'm good. Everything is great. How many of you said blessed? Like, I'm, whoo, like you just, you just uttered an emotion, something. Like, how many of you told the truth? Like, some of you, you were like, I really am good. Or you just said, I'm busy, and that's 100% true. You are Busy. If, how are you? I'm busy. Perpetually busy. Some of you maybe said depressed, anxious, angry, sad. You probably freaked your neighbor out. Because um, here's what we find. When people are honest with us about how they are, when they start to tell us the fullness of the emotion they're feeling, when they actually share that in a given moment, when that gets out there, it can be hard to know how to respond because most of the time we're not actually doing that with people. Right? Last week, I, I talked about the things that, that God detests, the things that God hates that turn his stomach. Today, I want to talk about the things that turn our stomachs, because there's a lot of them. Right? When I, I want to talk to you about the emotions that we feel, that we have to wrestle through. Because here's the reality right now, and I meet more and more people like this every week. I myself wrestle through this. I think we all feel this to some extent or another. Most of us don't know what to do with our emotions. Now, some of you may say, well, no, there's some days that I'm okay, right? But most of us have seasons, days, hours, minutes where we go, I have no idea what to do with what I'm feeling. Do you remember the movie Inside Out? Everybody seen that movie or you remember the, the characters for it? Um, look at these guys and, and you remember the emotions. I thought this film did such a great job of capturing fear and sadness, anger, disgust, joy. And, and what that movie said is that those emotions lived in kind of the brain center, right? That they were, the, they were kind of controlling this adolescent teenager trying to figure out where they were and how to function. And I'm like, that's my life. Like that's, I live that every day. And, and, but here's the thing. I would have changed one thing about that movie. I would have taken those emotions, I would have put them right spot in the gut, right? Because we even have a phrase, when our emotions go kind of to this like place where we're, I don't know what to do with all this, we have this phrase, and I think it's the perfect phrase. Whoever wrote, create, created this, wrote this, whatever, the phrase is gut-wrenching. Anybody ever use that? I love that phrase because gut literally means the visceral part of our emotional center, everything we feel. And wrenching is this perfect word that talks about that twisting that goes on in our, is, how many of you are stressed out just saying the word? Gut-wrenching is just like, right? It's a great phrase that perfectly sums up what so many of us feel because, and I'll say it again, many of us are not sure what to do with our emotions today. Now, I want to paint a picture for you of what our options tend to be, how we as, and I would say probably as Americans, right, how we tend to cope with our emotions. So I brought a little bit of hose, and I want you to pretend that this is your emotions hose, okay? Everybody, everybody good with that? It's really hard to preach with one hand, by the way. So if we have this hose, and it's going to just keep spinning, 
It's like hypnotic. If we plug this hose into our emotional center, now you can put your emotional center wherever you want. It doesn't matter to me, but we'll pretend this is plugged into our emotional center. When the emotions that we feel are in that spot, it's gut-wrenching. How are we going to do this? What do I, how do I handle the fear, the sadness, the depression, the anxiety, the anger? Every, i got all this stuff. What do I do? I think most of us tend to take one of three approaches. Some of us, men, look at me, have a valve, right? And we flip the switch on that valve, and we shut the emotions off. Amen? Not just men. Some of the, some of the men are like, you should meet my wife, Right? We've got this valve that we just, we turn it off. We become unemotional. We numb ourselves at whatever cost. Now, here's the problem with this, right? Here's the problem with this. And ladies, you got to look at me. You cannot, this is not a guilt trip. You get to look at me during this sermon, okay? The problem with this, you may turn your emotions off and you may cause the people around you to wither, When your emotions are supposed to bring. Listen, we are connected in relationship. We feel from each other. We gain life from each other. And when we turn that off, we may cause people who need the love that we have to offer, need the joy, need our sadness, actually, need our anger sometimes to actually dry up and wither. Now, here's a second option. Some of you are not the valve people. Some of you have never seen a valve in your life. Some of you have never turned the knob righty-tighty. It's just always open. Your emotional valve is like a fountain spraying whoever's in your path. Is anybody with me in this? Whatever you're feeling, it's going to get hosed out. And it's not like that little mist that waters your garden. It's the fireman hose, right? So you're emotionally hosing social media. I just need to get this out there, dot, dot, dot. Everybody posted that before. I just want someone to know this. I want one of my 800 friends to hear this. And we are emotionally fountaining ourselves out into every realm possible. And here's what happens. The problem with that is the emotions end up going in the wrong directions or toward the wrong people. And we don't know what to do with that. Everybody gets wet. (laughs) We think it's our job to water everybody. I want you to know what I'm feeling. I feel too much. Here it is. You can have some. Just have some. And we feel like our heart beats outside of our chest. Now, there's one other option because some of us don't have a valve, but we have a hand. And you used to do this as kids. You turn the water on and we cover it, right? Remember this? It doesn't work like a valve because what happens when we cover it? It sprays, right? It starts hitting other people that were never in our path. Sometimes if you're really good, you might cover it up to the point where the pressure backs up and backs up and backs up, and it might even leak into the walls and start to cause some rotting in yourself. We feel this, right? These are the emotions that we wrestle through. Now, as we start to talk about this, here's what I believe. Many of us don't know what to do with our emotions because, and if you're a follower of Christ, this really matters to you. If you're not a follower of Christ, take what's, what it's worth today. But if you're following Jesus, many of us, when it comes to biblical standards, biblical teaching, we have not heard anything helping us understand, here's what we do with our emotions when we follow Jesus. In fact, for a long time, I would argue the church has been a place where it's one spectrum or the other. You might actually define your style of worship, your denominational ties, based on this emotional spectrum. We go to a fountain church. There are no valves. Everybody's emotional all the time. Or we go to the church full of valves. We have valves in our pews, right? We just turn that valve, and you're not feeling anything. Just shut it off. Don't be emotional, because that's not part of the spiritual Life. Here's what's sad about all this. Epidemically, we have a culture that is overwhelmingly suffering from anxiety, from depression, 
from chronic fatigue, from more anger than we've ever felt and don't know what to do with. And I want to say at least part of this is because the way that we understand what it means to follow Jesus often does not tie into what we do with our emotions, with our emotions. So this is one of those teachings I've wanted to give for a while, but it hasn't really fit in a series. So we have a week here that I want to show you just one story, one moment from Jesus's life that paints a picture for us of, and I want you to understand this, of the emotional health that Jesus lived. See, if we look at individuals, if we look at humans, you need to understand Jesus was as emotionally healthy as you can get. He was the embodiment of that. So Luke 22 is where we're going to be. Let me, let me give you context before we start. We'll start at verse 39, but here's the context. Jesus has just shared a dinner, his last dinner before he's arrested, before he's beaten, before he's crucified on the cross. He's just shared a dinner with his best friends, with his followers, the disciples that have given their lives to follow him for the past three years. At this dinner, here's, here's what Jesus knows. He knows everything that is coming. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows this is going to be the darkest night of his life. As he's eating dinner, he shares bread with Judas, and he looks at Judas, and he says, you're going to betray me. And Judas actually leaves the table. Then he looks at the rest of the disciples, and he says, not one of you will continue to follow me. So in the midst of knowing his best friends in the world on the darkest night of his life are going to walk away from him, he shares a meal with them. Imagine the emotions of that. Imagine knowing what's coming, knowing how badly it's going to hurt. Look at verse 39 and what happens immediately after this dinner. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Verse 40, on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. So verse 41, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. And here's what he prayed, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, verse 44, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer... And he went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, I love this story because I think it it really does an incredible job. And and I've never, I've always read this story in the context of Easter, right? In the context of Easter, we tell this story maybe on Good Friday, or we tell this story as part of Jesus's journey to the cross. What I want to do, because it's not Easter, I want to freeze this moment. And I want to say, what is going on in Jesus emotionally in this moment where he's in the garden praying, where he's suffering, and he's about to face the the worst torture that anybody could imagine? What is going on in Jesus, and what does this mean? What does this say to us about the way that we handle our own emotions? And, And so there's four things I want to draw out of this. Here's the first one that we see in Jesus. You need healthy space to withdraw. See, Jesus in verse 39, we we see the first part of this. It says, Jesus went out, and you should underline, circle, highlight this. Jesus went out as usual. He went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Jesus had a habit of healthy withdrawal. How many of you have habits of unhealthy withdrawal? You don't have to raise your hand, right? We, he had a habit of saying, I have to get away and be filled up in order to keep pouring out. We know this is his habit because in Luke 21, verse 37, Luke tells us each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. 
See, Jesus, this was a habit. It was a place where he said, it has to be regular. It has to be disciplined. It has to be normal and ongoing for me to step back from the life that I'm living, from the busyness that I'm in, in order to deal with the emotions that I'm feeling. Now, here's what I know in this room. Some of you hate this. Some of you have no desire. You would despise being alone. It would scare you to death because you would say, I don't like what lives in the aloneness. I don't really want to go deal with that. But others, others of you are sitting here and you would go, I could live alone all the time. I could just give me a cabin and, and a pipe and a book and I'm good. Like, just let me go for years. And what I'm saying is neither of those options are necessarily the healthiest. It's a habit of healthy withdrawal so that we can have habits of healthy engagement. So I would say this, as individuals, you need to step away and be. Now watch, this is not basically withdrawal that says, go do what you want. This is withdrawal to pray. This is withdrawal in prayer. As individuals, you need to look at each other. You need to look at your spouse and say, I need an hour each month. I need an afternoon each month. I need a day every two months to actually get alone with Jesus and pursue what he wants in my life. And spouses, the best thing you can do, the most loving thing you can do for the person that you committed to is to say, I want you to have that. I'll take the kids. We'll do whatever we can because you need space. You need time with God. Couples, you need to do this. You need to walk in this. You need to listen. You need to retreat as hard as you vacation. Some of you are all about vacation. That's your withdrawal. But as you vacation, you're coming back more emotional and stressed out than ever because you spent more money that you didn't have. And you need a retreat. You need a place to say every six months, every year, we've got to, we've got to get away as a couple. We've got to get away as friends. We've got, to, we've got to be in this place. We need our family to withdraw. Our family yesterday was like our first free Saturday in about eight weeks. And we, uh, we're driving Friday night. What are we doing tomorrow? And we're all like, nothing. We're scheduling nothing. There is nothing on the schedule. We're just doing what we want, right? And it was amazing. Because we need that. We need habits of healthy withdrawal. Let me ask you this question. We get a peek in Jesus' schedule here, right? He's teaching at the temple every morning. Every night he goes and prays. What would your schedule look like in how you deal with your emotions? If we put that in Scripture, what would it say? Every day they went to work, to school, to practices, to family get-togethers. And every evening they hopped on social media to turn their brains off. Every day they did all this stuff. And then each evening they binge-watched something that was more dramatic and more resolved than their own life. Every day they did all their stuff and every evening they grabbed whatever bottle of wine or bottle of pills they could find to numb what they were feeling deep inside. What does your schedule say about how you deal with your emotions? Jesus had a habit of withdrawal. Here, here's the second point that I would draw out of this. Prayer is a guard against temptation. So I want you to understand this. Jesus says to his disciples, pray so that you may stand up against temptation, so that you may resist temptation. He tells them to pray, not because it's some spiritual check mark in the box. He says, this is an essential so that you can resist whatever temptation comes at you. He says, friends, you are facing the worst night of my life, probably one of the worst nights of your life. Listen, some of you, here's what I want you to get. Some of us are so anxious because we're hypothetical storytellers. You know what I mean by that? We play out in our heads all the hypothetical situations that could happen and all the things that we think might happen and all the things that we think might be coming down the road, and it puts this thing in us, the gut-wrenching that goes nuts, and we don't know whether it's going to happen or not. Now, how many of you have ever thought of what could happen, and when it happened, it wasn't that bad? All of us, right? How many of you have ever thought, like, this is what could happen, and when it happened, it was way worse? Anybody ever been there? That's way worse. Now imagine being Jesus for a minute and being someone who doesn't have to hypothesize what's happening. He just knows it. 
Imagine sitting down with your disciples and knowing what's coming that night, knowing they're going to betray you, knowing they're going to arrest you, knowing they're going to beat you, they're going to nail you to a cross. Imagine knowing all that and being faced with that. I mean, can you, some of us, if I could just deal with the things that I think might happen, I could deal with my anxiety. What if you knew the things that were definitely going to happen? How much worse would that be? See, Jesus says prayer is a guard against temptation. Here's what that teaches us. When our emotions are raw, our temptation is real. I, I, want you to, I don't want you to miss this. Just, just hear this. When your emotions are at the, the rawest form, your temptation is more real than any other situation in, in your life. Let me give you an example of this. When we, when we are walking through unhealthy loneliness, when we find ourselves in a spot where that loneliness is surrounding us, maybe a relationship broke down or we're in a relationship that we see breaking down, we're not sure what to do, or we feel like we just want to relate. When we have that unhealthy loneliness, that raw emotion, it forces us, it puts us in positions where we start to make really bad relational decisions. People who live into broken relationships, oftentimes I will find the loneliness has made them make stupid decisions because the emotion is raw, the temptation is real. When we, let me give you another example. When we have this unhealthy anger, it puts us in a spot and we're not dealing with that healthy. We're, we're trying to figure out how to deal with the anger. We end up severing ties with people who maybe love us. And we don't know how to handle the anger, so we just cut people off. Maybe it's fear that causes us to give up things we were never meant to give up, puts us in a place of paralysis where we go, I'm so afraid, I can't, and we miss out on the things we were called to step into. Or or your emotion is an unhealthy sadness that causes you to have a tendency to give up hope repeatedly. Whatever it is, we find ourselves in a place when the emotions are, are at the rawest form. The temptation is real. And Jesus says, in that place, in that moment, your guard against that is prayer. It's the discipline of prayer. It's the discipline of coming back to God again and again and again. And watch the follow-up from this because here's what happens with Jesus. It says that he withdrew and he told them, pray so that you can resist temptation. And then it says he knelt down. So, so don't miss this. Our physical posture in prayer reflects our emotional honesty. I want you to get this. Listen, if people started praying in the way of what they're really feeling in this church, you'd all freak out and leave. Do you realize that? Like, we all pray, like, oh, God, thank you. This is so good to be here today. Oh, just, I pray you protect my family. God, help me rest. Like, that's what we do at night, right? You pray yourself to sleep. You ever been there? And, and, and I think sometimes in church, we've got this posture that's just all buttoned up and neat and nice. But see, what if our posture reflected exactly what was going on in us? What if you saw people praying, going, God, you are so good. I'm going to stand before you because you have provided, you've rescued, you've redeemed. We're singing words. Our God's not dead. And we're like, God's not dead. Right? What if we reflected that? What if we reflected the fact that our hearts are breaking, that we were on our faces before God going, I can't get through this on my own. I don't know how to do this. I'm not sure what to do. And we, our posture began. Jesus embodies this. He embodies that our physical posture should reflect our hearts. Anybody ever seen the film, The Apostle? Really, really old, uh, back in the 90s. I remember being in high school. There's a scene, and this is a story of a, of a preacher who kind of loses everything because of moral failure. And he's up in this attic just pacing back and forth, screaming at God. Robert Duvall plays this part, screaming at God. And I remember watching that in high school going, can you pray like that? Is that legal in God's kingdom? Like, is that, is that allowed? Is that okay? Is, is God going to smite him? I don't know what smiting is, but is that the moment that, like, when you yell at God and you're, and you're cussing at God, like, is he going to? See, here's what I believe. That film painted a portrait of what prayer should be. 
of some of the most honest things that we bring to God. God, I don't know where you are, but I'm going to reflect this to you right now. God, I need you. I'm so, I'm plugging my emotions into you. And you know what's great about that? Hebrews 4 tells us that that's what we should do. Verse 14, it says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess, possess, profess. Sorry, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You ever tried to explain your emotions to somebody who just doesn't get it? How fun is that? Right? Like, I'm just going through depression. I got this anxiety. I got this anxiety. And somebody's like, oh, that must be hard. And you're like, you have no clue, you jerk. Like, that's... It was depression, now it's murder. Like that's, you've just, ah, like that's what we feel. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, we have a high priest who can empathize with us because he's been tempted in every single way we have. And then verse 16, watch what this does. Let us then, because of this, approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Confidence says we don't have to hide anything so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I, I got up this morning, I was thinking about that verse, and I saw this quote and literally just this morning. It says this, this is a reminder that Jesus napped regularly, got frustrated with religious systems, experienced hunger to the point of cursing, occasionally ignored his family's advice, and ran away when people wanted to control him. His humanity was part of his godliness, and so is yours. I love that. That's the Savior that we serve. See, we need to embody what it is that we're feeling. Here's, here's the fourth thing, and this is, so, this is the most important part of today. When we come to God honestly, when we bring all that we're feeling, all that we're thinking, all that is forming who we are, here's what we find. Here's what we find in Jesus, right? Gut-wrenching honesty brings God-connected intimacy. When you are able, courageous enough, bold enough, unafraid enough to say, God, here's everything that's in me. By the way, that's what Jesus did in this moment, in this season, in this place of the darkness of his life. He says, God, I don't want to do this anymore. That's the translation. Take this cup from me. I don't want this. I don't want to drink this. I don't want to go this route. I don't want to be nailed to the cross. God, I don't want to go this route. I don't want this on my plate. Take it off. And then he says, but not my will, but yours be done. See, your emotions, watch, here's what God does in that moment. When Jesus prays that prayer, what does God do? You can look back at the passage. God sends an angel to comfort him. In his agony, God sends his presence. Our emotions, whatever we feel, whatever you carry, are the gateway to connecting with God in more intimate ways than you've ever experienced. God is not a father who wants you to hide anything from him. He's a father who wants you to bring everything to him. That's who he is. And so two things happen here when Jesus says, I, I don't want this cup, but not my will, but yours be done. See, first he brings the fullness of his emotions to his father in courage, and then he surrenders it. He says, I don't want this, but let your will be done. Friends, that is emotional intelligence. That's what we see in Jesus in John 11 when it says Jesus wept. That's what we see when he walks into the temple with his anger and he flips over the tables. He wants out of this moment, but he's surrendered to God's plan. And here's the second thing that, that happens. When Jesus brings the fullness of his emotions, God brings the fullness of himself to Jesus. When you bring all that you are to God, God says, finally, finally, you dropped the mask. Finally, you're not hiding anymore. Finally, you've brought all of yourself. Now I can give you all of myself. It's this intimate moment where Jesus says, this is the most gut-wrenching thing I've ever felt, and I bring it to you, and God says, now I'm gonna give you more intimacy than you've ever experienced. See, look what happens in this story. 
it tells us that after this prayer, after he says, not my will, but yours be done, it says, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Whatever he was feeling before that, by the way, the scripture tells us there that his sweat was like drops of blood. Did you catch that? If you study this, this is a real condition, hemohydrosis. There's so much stress, so much pressure, so much going on that the blood vessels can begin to bust and the the sweat can actually sweat out drops of blood. It's incredible stress. And most think that that's really what was happening because Luke, who wrote this, is a physician. But it tells us that whatever he felt in that moment after this prayer, that being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And here's what happens. He goes and finds disciples, and it says he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Now, I want you to see the parallels. Jesus in anguish prays more. The disciples in sorrow check out. Where are you? What's your response to what it is that you feel? Does your emotion push you to this place of going, God, I'm bringing all the gut-wrenching stuff I've got because I want the intimacy that you have. I'm bringing everything I am to you because you have more to offer than I can ever imagine. Or are you the disciples who says, I can't handle this sorrow, I'm just going to sleep. Just give me the first substance that's gonna numb my brain, whether it's the wine, the beer, the pills, the, the Netflix, whatever it is, just give me whatever it is that turns this off, let me check out, let me disengage, let me not have to deal with what it is. See, when we bring the gut-wrenching stuff to God, the intimacy goes to a level that we've never imagined. And friends, that only happens with the habits of healthy withdrawal, with the prayer as the guard against temptation, with actually letting our physicality reflect, God, here's where I am. You want to grow in this? Try this this week. Actually kneel down and talk to God. Actually try that. Actually get on your face before God. Say, here's, here's what I'm, I'm dealing with. So let's go back to our hose as we start to wind down. I told you there's, there's all these different approaches, right? We can turn the hose off. We can, we can spray our emotions everywhere. We can try to cover it and watch it seep out. See, here's the thing. In this, in this passage, we see a different approach. Christy, will you be God today? Is that okay? You can just hold the hose. So here's what I start to understand as I read this passage. You can just hang on to that for a second. What I start to understand is, first of all, is that God is the source of our emotions. I want you to get this. Many of you believe that whatever emotional distress you feel, whatever that, and maybe it's just I get angry too much. Maybe it's clinical depression that you're at a point where I don't even know what to do with this. But whatever it is, you've assumed, you've gotten to a point where you go, whatever those feelings are, if I could just get rid of those, then I'd be okay. Listen, I want you to understand the first thing God says in the Bible is emotional. He creates and he says, it's good. I like this. I have joy in this. We see it all over. God grieves. God gets angry. God rejoices. God gets frustrated. We see emotions. And when he created humans, part of being created in the image of God is that we are emotional beings. So the first thing we recognize is that God is the source of our emotions. So don't let go of that. But our emotional hose comes from God, that he gives us those things. And so it's not necessarily something to be turned off, but it's something that we keep plugged into God. Whatever we have, whatever we feel, whatever we wrestle with, whatever we rejoice about, angry about, mad about, sad about, depressed about, we keep that plugged into God because he's the one who channels that through us. And when we do that, what we start to realize is what Jesus says in John 7. He says, whoever comes to me, I will give them fountains of living water. See, some of us, when our emotions are disconnected, unplugged, displugged is what I almost said, when our emotions are disconnected, unplugged from God, we have a lot of fountains, and we're putting a lot of water on people, but it's not living water. 
It's water that wears them out. It's water that makes us angry. It's water that we don't know what to do with. When we plug our, don't let go of the hose. When we plug it into God and we start to say, God, I'm bringing all that I am to you. This is gut-wrenching, but God, you can have it. God, I don't want it anymore, but not my will, but yours be done. When we plug that into God, God says, got it. And it's intimacy. And now living water starts to come out and the people around you start to find, you can let go, good job. We start to find the people around us going, you are life-giving to me. You are walking with emotional health in a way that I'm starting to understand. You bring life to the people around you. You're encouraging. You're full of joy. Even in your sadness, I see it, but you've got life there because you're connected to God in this. We want the living water to come out of us. I'm going to invite the band to come, and I want to tell you one more story as we start to close. I want you to think about where you are in this conversation. Maybe some of you, you've got the valve. You're valve people. And your goal is turn those emotions off. Don't let anybody see it. Don't let anybody know it. Maybe one or two people that I go to, we've got our little chat thing. We've got our little, like, we get together every once in a while. We get to whatever it is. But you're a valve person. You just got that turn. I'm not getting, I'm not letting anybody in. I'm not letting anybody deal with this. The pain hurts too much. The grief is too weighty. The anger is overpowering. Whatever it is, we've done what we can to simply numb Whatever we feel. My wife knows this is my tendency. She's so good. When there's something that happens in our life, she'll look at me. Carrie will look at me and go, don't turn it off. I need that. Some of us aren't valve people. Some of us are fountain. We're emotional fountains. We're like fondue pots. If you just rub up against us, you're going to feel what we are. The heart is outside our chest. We wear it on social media and conversations and relationships. The heart beats outside the chest. And in this moment here today, maybe you recognize that even that can be unhealthy. You may be really in touch with your emotions, but when you put them out there for everybody, you recognize it feels good for a moment, but it's not bringing any healing. Or you're the one trying to hold the water in when it just keeps spouting and it, and it starts to hit other people and it starts to hit your spouse, starts to hit your kids, starts to hit your coworkers, and they're going, I don't know why you're mad at me. I don't know why you're throwing shrapnel at me. This doesn't make sense. And it's because you've got those emotions trying to hold them in and it's not working. See, in our house... There are a lot of emotions, as you can imagine. Many of you have similar homes. And what I find is that there are moments, there are days, there are seasons where I know something about my daughters. And I know something about my wife, or my wife knows something about her husband. And as their father, with Carrie as their mother, we know there's something there. Let's just talk about our daughters. We know there's something below the surface on these days that they're not sharing. And, and you know how we know that? Think about the hose. We know there's something there because maybe they're spitting little bits of anger directed at us that aren't really about us. Or I'm spitting little bits of anger at them that isn't really about or they seem sad and there's no clear reason why or they're arguing with each other about things that don't really matter. Here's what I found in those moments, those days, I'll ask or you'll ask or, or my wife will ask, hey, what's going on? What's wrong? And the answer is always the same. Nothing. Isn't nothing a loaded word? It's amazing that a word nothing can mean something or nothing can mean a whole lot that I don't want to talk about or nothing can mean I don't even know right now but that's the answer we get and if they say nothing to me as their daddy there's nothing that I can do but you know what tends to happen in our house see later in the day maybe just before bed when everyone's really tired and our defenses are worn out maybe right after the shower when when everybody else is in bed and that that child comes back upstairs and sits down next to us on the couch and in a quiet moment we ask one more time hey 
what, what's going on? What's, what's wrong? What are you feeling? And you know as well as I do what happens at that point. It's that point where there are mo- no more defenses and the cap on the hose got taken off and somehow we forgot to turn the valve off and, and somehow the hose is pointing in the right direction and everything starts to spill out. The tears come, the anguish comes, the sadness comes, the fear, the insecurity, whatever it is, there's a gut-wrenching moment of truth brought to the presence finally of mommy and daddy, and it finally comes, and honesty happens, honesty about all that's being felt. And you know what happens with my little girls in that gut-wrenching moment of honesty? Mommy and daddy and whatever daughter it is that day are gifted with a moment of incredibly beautiful intimacy. We have a moment there that's never forgotten. We have a moment there where a daughter feels safe and a father feels love because there's gut-wrenching honesty. There's some willingness. See, listen, I hate their pain. I don't want them to feel the pain, but there's nothing like the intimacy in the face of the honesty about the pain. I hate the pain, but I love the honesty. See, when they let us in, they find and we find something that didn't exist when they were turning the valve off, when they were stuffing them away, or when they were just spouting them on everyone else around them. They find grace, they find reception, they find love and beauty and connection, and they find a way to move forward in health knowing things are going to be okay because they have intimacy with a father that's love will never change. As we close today, I want to give you some space to sit down on the couch with a perfect heavenly father. With the savior who looked at a city and said, Jerusalem, I want to gather you. I've longed to gather you like a mother gathers her young. I want to invite you to sit with a God who feels deeply for you, more deeply than anything you've ever felt. I want to invite you to a place of gut-wrenching honesty. Maybe for the first time in a long time, you could bring your emotions to God and listen to God alone. Maybe you could find living water. Maybe you could connect with him in a way, listen, that venting to your friends hasn't helped. And friends, maybe you could back away and let this moment of gut-wrenching honesty and prayer be just that. Don't comfort this, friends. You can hug them after the service, but in this moment, let them bring their gut-wrenching honesty to God. As we sing this song, as we come honestly before our Savior with our grief, with our anger, with our distress, with our disgust, with our fear, with our anxiety, with our depression, our exhaustion. As we enter this moment, don't rush it. This is the living room of your heavenly father and he's longing for your honesty so you can receive the gift of intimacy. We're gonna sing and we're gonna sing over you. And some of you may need to let that posture thing happen. You may need to kneel down. You may need to treat this like an altar and come and just say, God, I gotta be honest with you. You may need to just sit in your seat with hands open finch clist, clenched, fists clenched, until you can open them. You may get to a point later in the song where you say, God, I'm surrendering this, and in surrender, I'm going to actually stand and worship you. We're going to invite you all to stand by the end, but in this opening part, I want you simply to let this be you and Jesus, you and God sitting on the couch, and you're tired, and the day's finally over, and you got no more defenses left, and it's time to come clean with your Father because He loves you, and He's safe, and He's good, and everybody else around you may feel unsafe. All those past relationships may have hurt so bad, but today in this place, you're safe, and there's a God who wants you to know that. You can be courageous and you can bring it all to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you father us?